Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. I want to speak, I've called my sermon this morning, Little by Little. Little by Little. And, uh, and the question I want to ask right from the outset is, that, do the little things really matter? Because so often we're, we're uh, sucked in and we're enamored by the big things. Every, everybody wants the big stage, the big life, the big money. And uh, so we get sucked in and drawn into this life of big, but we fail to understand how important the little is in all of our lives. Do the little things really make a difference in our lives? And uh, we, we know if you ask any mother today, uh, she will tell you that her life is consumed with the little things. Is there any mums out there would agree with me on that this morning? The little things like, what are the small grocery items that I'm going to get for my kids' school lunches this week? What about the small notices that come home from your kids from school that sometimes are barely recognisable because they've been screwed up, placed in the bottom of your bag, and then you've got to have the gift of interpretation of tongues to be able to read that school notice that comes home. And it's important. All the little things are important because that's about to tell you what's going on in the life of your child. Or what about uh, being the judge and adjudicator when dad's not in the car and there's a fight over who's going to be in the front seat, you know? And so mum has to make a ruling because all the kids want to sit in the front seat. Mother's lives are continually filled with the little things. And it's amazing that sometimes because the little things seem so ordinary that we don't place very much importance or highlight the small things. But all the small things finally add up to the big things. Can I hear an amen today? And, uh, you know, I was um, reminded as I was preparing this message, um, had a bit of an interest in space growing up. And in 1962, NASA launched a space probe to go and investigate what they could see on the planet Venus. And it was called the Mariner 1. It was the first prototype of its kind. They launched this spacecraft, and four minutes into flight... They had to destroy the, uh, the craft, and it landed in the uh, Atlantic Ocean millions and millions and millions of dollars. And the reason why they had to destroy it was that as they went to give it directions from down here on Earth on liftoff, it wasn't obeying their directions. And they did an investigation into it. Obviously, it was a lot of money back in the 60s, millions and millions of dollars. It's worth a lot more than what it is now. And on their investigation, they looked at the computer code. And do you know what caused the failure of the mission? Was one hyphen that was missing in the computer code. One small hyphen in the computer code changed the whole mission and caused it to fail. So... I guess we could say in this situation, the little thing, that small hyphen, ended up being a huge thing that caused NASA and the United States government a lot of money. The little things really do matter. And this morning I want to talk about an ordinary woman, three ordinary women in the scriptures who ended up living extraordinary lives of influence, even though they themselves wouldn't consider themselves to be extraordinary. But out of the little things that God gave them to do, they ended up 
living a life of large influence. And the principle I want to build the message on this morning is that a life lived doing the little things properly ends up becoming a life that has a large influence. Can I hear an amen from somebody today? And this principle is found in the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament, chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. It says this, Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand teaching or doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. In other words, you're not ready for the meat until you first of all finish the stage of the milk in your life. And so the small things have to come before the big things. And then he goes on to say, and it's the principle of repetition in the Scriptures. Whenever God repeats something more than once, he's saying, take notice. This is a principle, a life principle, that I want you to uh, take into your lives for the rest of your days. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Sounds like I'm being repetitive, because God is. Here a little... And there a little. And God is saying this. You're not going to live a life of influence, of receiving knowledge and understanding in your life until you come to understand that the little things matter to God and the little things will end up mattering to to you in your life. Line upon line, precept upon precept, building brick by brick in your life, here a little, there a little, and God begins to build something that has an incredible influence over a period of time. Because we live in an instant society, we have instant everything. You can get instant meals. You can get instant coffee. You can get instant this, instant that. And because we've, we've been surrounded by the marketing then we all think that we can live an instant life of large influence. But we fail to realize it's line upon line, precept upon precept. It's doing the small things in your life that will end up making a big influence on those that God gives you to rub shoulders with. A baby's not about to attack that 500-gram piece of meat. Why? Because he's just going to try and gum it to death. He hasn't got the teeth. He's still on the milk. He hasn't got the equipment to tackle that thing. And so often we end up falling uh, head over heels because we're trying to tackle something that we're not ready for yet. We've failed to realize the little things are the significant things that God wants to build within our life. Jesus, we see in the Gospels in Mark chapter 9, the disciples and Jesus have been out They've been healing the sick. Jesus has been teaching the word of God. And they get to their destination. And then the disciples didn't realize that the whole time that Jesus had been aware of their conversation. And then he says, boys, uh, what were you arguing about while you were walking on the road? And the boys say, well, in fact, the scripture says that they were all silent. They were silent because they were embarrassed. Because do you know what they were arguing about? They're arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Between themselves, you know, John was saying, John was saying, well, uh, you know, I think, you know, I've got certain attributes and I think, Peter, I'm going to be greater than you. And Peter, of course, said, no way, guys. I'm going to be greater than all of you. You know, though all of you will deny him, I'll never deny him. Peter with his chest out. And so they were arguing amongst themselves about who was going to be the greatest. And Jesus spoke right into it. This is what the Bible and what mums often use. It's called a teachable 
moment. Right there, Jesus pounces on that moment, a teachable moment, and this is what he says. He sat them down, called the 12, and he said this, if anyone desires to be first, number one, I want to be number one, he shall be last of all and the servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. He was warning them about wanting to be the big high roller. He was warning them about wanting to be filled with pride and be the man of the hour without having first of all realized that unless you become like a little child and unless you receive a little child in my name and focus on the little boys, not the big, and unless you're faithful in the small things, then you're not faithful in much. And he drummed this lesson into them and he said this, listen, if you want to be a person of influence, then learn how to serve everybody. Learn how to be a servant of all. In the world, I know this, in the world it's all about me being the boss. It's all about me being number one. It's all about me being your supervisor and you're all my lackeys and I'll tell you what to do and you'll do exactly what I tell you to do. But he said, it's not going to be like that in my kingdom. He said, in my kingdom, the way up is down. If you want to live a life of influence in my kingdom, then I want you to learn how to be the servant to everybody in the kingdom of God. If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and the servant of all. So he was saying this. He was saying, friends, your influence starts by focusing on the small things that God gives you to do that he puts in front of you. And as you faithfully accomplish the small you'll find that God will consider you to be faithful and he will increase the influence over your life today. Anyone remember the story of Naaman, the Syrian commander in the Old Testament? He was alive at the time of Elisha, who was the protege of Elijah, the prophet. Elijah accomplished eight amazing miracles in the Bible. Elisha accomplished 16 And a servant girl had been captured by the Syrian army. She was an Israeli girl. And uh, and Naaman got leprosy. He was the commander-in-chief of the Syrian army. He was a fearsome warrior. He's a mighty military strategist. He was a man of influence, and he was a man who was looked up to, but he had a problem. Like many great people in the world, they have hidden problems behind closed doors that nobody ever sees about, but they only front the media and show the good. Isn't that what social media is all about today? We all put on our best look, our best photos, our our best part of us, and everybody thinks we're living this amazing, blessed life. But they don't see what happens in between the photos. They don't see what happens in between the days when we're on that roller coaster of emotion, the ups and the downs of life. And so Naaman had a problem. He had leprosy. He was a sick man. And the servant girl overheard, she, he worked, she worked for Naaman's wife. She was working as a housemaid. And she overheard how much of a problem this sickness was becoming to this great and mighty uh, soldier. And she says, if you meet the man that I know, Elisha, he'll just pray for you. And you will be supernaturally healed and your leprosy will be removed from your body. And so Naaman went to the king. 
The king said, sent a letter to the king of Israel. They, the king of Israel got hopping mad. He says, who does he think he is that I can heal people? And, and then they sent the message on to Elisha. And uh, so they teed up all the meetings. So Naaman, he loads up the donkeys with gold. He loads up the donkey with precious stones and jewels. Because everybody, you see, unless you understand who God is, you think you have to pay for anything that comes from God. But freely, freely, Jesus said, you've received, freely, freely you give. And so he heads down to where the prophet Elisha is. He goes to Elisha's address. Uh, they, the, Elisha is uh, told the message as they knock on the door, the great Syrian commander is at your door. He wants you to come out and bring healing to him. Elisha doesn't even go out of the house. He sends a servant boy out to bring in the message. Go and dip in the river Jordan here in Israel seven times and you, you will come out, your, your skin will be as smooth as a baby's bottom. That's paraphrased version. You'll be healed. You'll be healed. And of course, Naaman, he's used to pomp, ceremony. He's the top dog. He's saying, you won't even come out and see me. You won't even get, make the time to come and shake my hand. And now you want me to go and dip in your scungy, dirty river, your polluted little river, Jordan. I've got mighty rivers that are rushing straight down from the mountains in Syria. And you want me to wash in your scungy river? And he turns and, he's, and the Bible says he was in a rage. He was so angry because he was used to the top dog treatment. And all God was asking him was to do a little thing. Head down to our little river, Jordan. Dip yourself seven times in the river and you're going to be healed. But it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't big enough for him. There wasn't enough ceremony. There wasn't enough pomp. You know, the band wasn't playing. The lights weren't on. You know, he wanted all the pomp and ceremony. He wanted the big things. And God says, I just want you to do this little thing. So fortunately, some servants of his stuck their neck out. Because anyone that kind of disagreed with the man of the hour... They were getting ready for their heads to be chopped off. They stuck their necks out and said, uh, Naaman, if he'd asked you to do a big pompous thing, would you have done it? And he says, of course I would have. Of course I would have. He's saying, I'm only asking you to do it. He's only asking you to do this little thing. Why don't you just go and do it and see what happens? So he does the little thing and heads down to Israel's little river, dips himself seven times, and guess what happens? He's supernaturally and sovereignly healed. He comes out of the water on the seventh time, and his skin, the leprosy, is completely gone. You see, friends, there's a message in it for us today. So often, we want to be the top dog that deserves the top treatment that has the lackeys waiting on us. Instead, God will often take you wherever you are, and he will ask you to do the simplest, smallest of things on a consistent basis. And before you know it, people are coming knocking on your door because they can feel the influence around your life. They want to talk to you. They want to sit down. They want you to pray with them. They want to seek out your wisdom and your advice because they can see that you're a person who's done the basics, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. I'm about to talk to you about three women. Three women. And, and this is, I, I love talking about this because many people don't understand in the Bible, they think it's such a male-dominated book. But they fail to understand that sprinkled all through the pages of the Bible are extraordinary women 
who had incredible influence. And a lot of them had influence in the day which was male-dominated and its influence and its hierarchy. And these three women, they, they completely turned the pages of the Bible upside down. And so, so often we understate the role of the woman in the Bible. And uh, because I'm going to take these three women this morning, you'll find that the clear message that each of them bring is that there's no single mold that a woman should fit into. Can I hear an amen, woman? Amen. Don't be squeezed into the mold of you think who you should be based on what others think or may have told you about your life. The first woman is Deborah, and she's a prophetess. And uh, she was called to be a political and military leader, a woman called to lead the armies of Israel. Esther was a young Jewish girl who had been orphaned as a child, no mother, no father, living in a foreign land as a captive in a foreign nation who ended up becoming a queen and her little that she did was that she changed the course of human history and she stopped her whole nation being exterminated, just like Hitler attempted to do in the 1940s. Esther stopped in her day a whole nation being killed and exterminated by a crazy king. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, they estimate that when the angel Gabriel visited Mary, she was a 17-year-old, pure, young virgin who had a sweet and beautiful spirit who gained favor with God. And she became the mother of Jesus Christ. She carried God in the womb because of her simple, childlike devotion and faith in Jesus Christ. So let's uh, get that message. Be who God has equipped you to be. Don't be typecast into a certain role or a certain type of person, particularly as woman. You be who God has called you to be. And each of these women, they had one trait, one little by little trait in their life that changed the course of human history in their day. So let's talk about Deborah first of all. Some of you may not know that Deborah was married. She was married uh, to a guy called Lapidoth. Lapidoth. Lap, not lap dog, Lapidoth. Okay? He was a good man because he released his wife into ministry. And, uh, and, she, and she was a leader in a day where women never led. And she rose up and she had a specific trait that's very interesting in the Bible that is a very big challenge to us. In Judges 4 verse 4, it says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. Listen to this. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah. She had a special tree that was named after her. She'd sit under the tree between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And this is what happened. As she sat under that tree, the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Deborah had this trait and characteristic in her life, this little by little trait, and this was her little by little. She made herself available for people to come and seek counsel. She made herself ready and willing 
to serve the people of her nation just by saying, a little bit like you see the JPs today at the Citizens Advice Bureau. They sit there and they wait for people to turn up in order to serve their legal needs. She would be under that palm tree, the palm tree called Deborah, and everybody in the nation knew that Deborah was available. How, no matter how small the problem was, no matter how big the problem was, and this trait of availability in her life caused a change in the nation. Look what happened. We don't have time to go through the whole story, but this is what took place. Israel was surrounded by their enemies, and Deborah and Barak, a military leader, got together, and they hatched a plan, and God had a great victory in the nation that day. And this is what they said, and they sang a song, and this is how the song went in Judges 5, verse 1. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. When leaders lead, and when the people of God willingly offer themselves. How did they learn that? Do you know how they learn it? They learnt it by watching this woman of faith called Deborah make herself available to the people. They learnt off her example that they could also make themselves available and willingly offer themselves to serve the Lord. This woman changed the shape of a nation's thinking and she led a military strategy that gained Israel a nation. Can I ask you today? Now the Bible says that we've all got a name that's written on our forehead that only God knows. I wonder if he looks at you today and written on your forehead are the words, I am available. <coughs> could it be that your little thing that you could do is to be willing to be available when you can see a need that's around you and you're able to put your hand up and say, here I am, Lord, you can use me today. Because I haven't closed myself off. I'm present in the moment. I can see that something's happening here. I'm willing to step into the moment. And you know, I, my wife has taught me so much about this. You know, wherever we are, she is present in the moment. We can be in a supermarket and a mother's having a terrible time with her children and they're throwing tantrums. And she will come and she will be of assistance in some way. I, I remember once she had... <laughs> you know, assistance comes in many different forms. <laughs> And once this child was really playing up in the, in the super, supermarket, and so she walked up behind the mother's back was to her, but the child was sitting in the trolley, and she walked up and she put her head around and she did a poo kind of she went, <laughs> except without the noise. And suddenly this screaming tantrum of a child just went, <gasps> and stopped crying. So she achieved, she achieved, she made herself available. <laughs> oh, what a laugh, praise God. There's all sorts of strategies for, con for controlling out-of-control children. <laughs> Esther, an orphan girl. You know, we often, we support a lot of orphans in this church. We support a major orphanage in India. And I've personally met all of the children that are there. They're amazing kids. And the incredible thing is that these kids who have been orphaned, uh, they've just finished like 20 years of running the orphanage and these kids are now graduating from university. And they've now got degrees 
and they're getting jobs. And you know what the kids do? They want to come back to the orphanage to help because they realized how much that little by little care that happened in their lives made a difference. And so Esther's orphan, she has a cousin called Mordecai, and Mordecai becomes a father figure to her. He becomes like that uncle that's out looking out after her. And uh, the king uh, loves beautiful women, as most kings do, and, uh, but he couldn't control his missus. <sighs> I know the feeling. Couldn't control <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Oh, that was, that was a low blow. Yeah. Your turn next time you preach, honey. Yeah. <laughs> well, that means I'm in the spare room tonight. Okay. And uh, so Queen Vashti won't do what the king wants to do. And uh, so uh, he says, right, you're no longer my woman. I'm looking for a new woman now, just like that. So he says, I need one that's just as pretty, if not prettier than you. So he says, find me the next queen, boys. And so they all go out on a search party, and uh, they gather up a group of women and, uh, and, and all the beautiful young ladies. And what they didn't know at this point in time is that Esther is actually a Jew. They thought that she was one of their own people. And so she comes in, they have a bit of a parade, and, uh, and, and she passes the test, and so she goes into a 12-month makeup program. And all the women said, 12 months of makeup, myrrh, special oils, been pampered for 12 months. And all the women are saying, yes, bring it on. I'm sorry, you will never get 12 months. <laughs> and so Esther's an orphan, but she has one trait her natural beauty, and little by little, she learns how to do the makeup real good. She learns how to pretty herself up real good. And over a period of time, at the end of that 12 months, she wins the competition. She's now going to become the new queen. But in the meantime, there's a guy that works for the king who hates all the Jews. And he manages somehow to get the king to sign a petition that says all Jewish people will be exterminated and put to death, just like Hitler tried to do. This is in history. To put them all to death. And so it's all going to happen. It's written into law. The seal of the king's stamp is upon the law. It's made legislation. It's going to happen. And this, the, the people of God needed some kind of a savior. And so this woman... This young lady called Esther, who had just used the little gifting that she had, who had learned to make herself look really nice, she takes a risk, and the risk is this. If anyone comes before the king without being invited first, then they risk execution. That's how male he was. That's all I should need to say in this situation. And, uh, and so... Uh, but not only that, he doesn't realize that Esther herself is a Jewess. And so Mordecai says to her, the saving of our nation is in your hands. What are you going to do? The little that you had as a young teenager has now grown in influence. You have the ability to save this nation. Will you stand up and use the little you have to save a nation from extermination? And so she does it. She gets an audience with the king. She reveals her true identity as a Jewess. And 
by the grace of God, God uses her to turn around the law. The enemy is, 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 is turned back around on him. He's taken out of the picture. And, uh, and she saves a whole nation from extermination. What was the little that she had? She had natural beauty. What's the little that you have today? You may not consider yourself to be a natural beauty, but there may be some characteristical gift that God has given to you. And I want to ask you the question today. Are you using the little that God has given to you? Are you being faithful in the little that God has given to you, knowing that your faithfulness in the sight of God means a lot in the name of Jesus today? And so we move on from Esther and we move to the last person this morning. Mary, the mother of Jesus, this young teenage woman who's been engaged to a boy called Joseph and, uh, and they're biding their time in the engagement and suddenly one day, out of the blue, this is what happens. An angel rocks up to Elizabeth's house in all of his glory. His name is Gabriel. And he comes from heaven, sent by God to this young girl a nobody. She's got no pedigree. She's not anyone on a big stage. She's minding her business, probably quite excited about her engagement and getting ready to be married. And this angel turns up and says, greetings, highly favored of the Lord. And I can guarantee she's probably looking around the room thinking, is there somebody else in this room? Who's he talking to? And then the angel unveils the plan and says, God has been watching your life. And if I could paraphrase, I would say it like this. God has been observing the little things that you have been doing, Mary. He's been observing your attitudes. He's been observing the stance and attitude of your heart. And he has decided in all of his wisdom to select you to bring forth his own very son, that you will become pregnant and you will carry the Son of God, the one who was in the beginning, who will be forevermore. The Alpha and the Omega is going to be carried in your womb. You are going to carry the seed of God himself in your womb. And she's a bright young girl. She doesn't have to work things out very much. And she asks one question. She says this, how am I going to get pregnant when I've never known a man? That's a reasonable question. She wasn't asking in unbelief. She, was, she wasn't saying it could never be me. She was saying, how are you going to fulfill this plan, God? And then the angel says to her, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And there is going to be a seed implanted into your womb from God himself. God will be your father. That's how you're going to get pregnant, not through natural human means, but God himself is going to become your, the father of this child that will be in your womb. Wow. And you know what Mary's little by little trait was? I love it. It was her simple faith. And this is what she said. She said, let it be. Lord, according to your word. Let it be according to your word. How many times are you arguing and fighting with what God has spoken over your life? How many times are you demeaning and putting down yourself because you can't see how God could ever use you in a manner or a way that God has said he wants to use you? And so you talk yourself out of it. But Mary didn't do that. Even as a young girl, her little trait was her simplistic, simple, childlike faith. And she said, let it be 
according to your word. Lord, bring it on. Whatever you've got for my life, I'm willing to believe that if you've said it, that settles it. I believe it and that's it. God is going to move in and through my life. And of course, the rest is history. She, uh, she got pregnant and she gave birth to the Son of God, to Jesus Christ. And she had the privilege because of the attitude of her heart, because she, she knew how important the little things were. Can you imagine what kind of a character, what kind of an attitude needed to be present to raise the Son of God as a mother? And yet she had this, and she, the Bible says that she, she would hear what God had said, and she would ponder those things in her heart. She would meditate on what God had said to her, and she would, she would just allow the meditation of the Word into her spirit. And there always came a simple response from her heart, yes and amen. Yes and amen. Yes, Lord, you can use me. This young nobody in the middle of nowhere that's been chosen to be the mother of the Son of God. What is that little trait that God is knocking on your door with? Those little things that God wants to begin to progress in your life. Don't ignore them. Don't say they don't matter. The little things are often the big things that matter within our life. I can guarantee with many of you right now, there's little things that God's been knocking on your door about. There's little things that he's wanting to advance within your life. Don't ignore them because they're so little. Begin to act upon those little things. Don't become a procrastinator, always going to get round to it, always going to get to it, but you never do get to it. When God begins to talk to you about things, be like Mary. Let it be, Lord, according to your word. One last woman I want to talk about who lived in the 1700s. She was number 25 out of 25 children. That's a pretty big family. My wife's number 11 out of 12 kids, but 25 out of 25, that's a pretty big family. And uh, she, married, uh, she married a man by the name of Mr. Wesley. And she gave birth to 19 children herself. Nine of them never made it past infancy. She had two sets of twins, and both of her sets of twins died as infants. We know back then that health care wasn't a thing. So for many of the kids, it was like some will make it and some won't. And so she ended up, she ended up having 10 children that she raised, and she had a very small house. But she had one simple thing about her life, and that was that she loved Jesus Christ. Her husband was the pastor of a small church, and she raised all these children in her home as her husband would go out and preach the word. You know, he wasn't a superstar preacher. He was just steady Eddie. He would just do the work. But there was two things that this woman did. Her name was Susanna Wesley. And she was the mother of John and Charles Wesley. Now, if any of you know anything about church history, Charles Wesley was the, he was the darling chick of his day that many of his hymns that he wrote in 1700s are still being sung in traditional churches all over the world today. He had an incredible gift for lyrics and for music. And he would, t and he would take these songs, and these songs would catch on. He would even take uh, tunes, he would take melodies from the pubs that were being sung in drunkenness, and then he would put these incredible Christian words to these melodies, Charles Wesley. But his brother, John Wesley... Many of you may know John Wesley or heard of John Wesley. John Wesley is the father of the Methodist Church. 
And John Wesley was used by God to methodically set up discipleship and disciple making. He had a contemporary in his day. His name was George Whitfield in America who used to preach to crowds of thousands and thousands. They called him the, the, the silver-tongued preacher. He would preach and he would mesmerize, mesmerize crowds, no amplification, and thousands and thousands of people would line up to hear uh, George Whitfield. And, uh, and they met each other as they crossed the Atlantic Ocean. And John Wesley went to the United States and uh, failed miserably in the United States. So he came back and he had to talk to Charles Wesley, uh, to George Whitfield, and, uh, and would ask him about how he was so successful and what he was doing. So many people would turn up to his meetings. In the meantime, John Wesley had learnt a lot of this mother that raised nine other siblings alongside of him. And he understood how important a life of simple devotion to God was, of daily meeting with God because he watched his mother do it. This is what his mother used to do. With 10 children in a small house, she, she said, there's two things that I want to teach my children. And this is back in the day, friends, where three and four-year-olds were doing chores in the house, especially if you had a big family. And she said, not one of my 10 children are going to end up on the roster to do chores until they've first of all learnt how to read. I want my children to be educated because I realise that none of them are going to get ahead in life unless they learn how to read. And of course, two of her sons became major figures in revival in church history, John and Charles Wesley, because of that one principle. And you know how she taught her kids the principle of devotions? This is what she would do. She'd have a special chair in her lounge. It was only a one-roomed house. And she would sit down in her chair. And when all of her children saw this happen, they knew that they weren't to bother her. She would get her apron, and she would fling her apron up over her head. And she'd make a little tent with her apron. And she would worship Jesus. She would pray. She would sing. And, and only in a dire emergency was she ever to be interrupted as she had her quiet time with Jesus with all of her kids running around at her feet. And all of her children. You see, friends, it's not sometimes what's, what's uh, caught that's taught. It's a life that's lived that leaves the biggest imprint on us as human beings. And all of her children rose up and followed in the ways of the Lord because they watched this mother who did one simple little by little thing. Every day she would have a time with the Lord and flick her apron over her head and the kids would get on with their own little uh, playing, etc., etc., while she spent time with Jesus. Isn't that an amazing story? So I want to ask you today as we finish this message, what is the little thing or things that God's been speaking to you about. You know, I teach all new disciples this little thing called seven up. Seven up. Because so often, one of the things that we're going to understand, like Susanna Wesley taught her children, was that the devil is a thief, a liar, and he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Did you know that you can never continue a solid Christian witness in your life? You'll never grow stronger in the Lord unless you feed your spirit. 
You're not just made up of the body that you're walking around in. You're spirit, soul, and body. And your inner man, your spirit needs to be fed. If you don't feed your body for a week, you know what happens? You lose about five or six kilos. Some of you go, yeah, I need that. I need that. <laughs> but you know how hard that is not to feed yourself for seven days? And yet, many of us won't open our Bible from Sunday to Sunday, and we expect to remain strong in spirit. You'll never remain strong in spirit. Your spirit needs to be fed little by little, day by day. And I say seven up. This is, what I, this is what I teach. I say as soon as you get up in the morning, go and find a space where you can spend seven minutes with Jesus and do it for seven days. And this is what you'll find. You'll start building yourself a devotional prayer life little by little, here a little, there a little, line upon line, precept upon precept. You'll find the rhythm of prayer, the rhythm of God beginning to seep into your life as your spirit begins to grow stronger and stronger. What is the little that God's speaking to you about today? What is it that he wants from you? This is what Jesus said. He said, if you're faithful in the small things, you're faithful in much. And this is what he went on to say. He said, how can I trust into your care the true riches if you won't even bother to do the little things that I've set aside for you to do? What are the true riches? We know he's not talking about money. The temporal world passes away. Nobody's going to get to the end of their life and be able to take all their wealth and their riches with them. That's left here on earth. So Jesus is not talking about the accumulation of physical wealth and money. What's he talking about? The true riches, which is your spirituality, the anointing of the Spirit, the power of God within your life. That's what the true riches are. And Jesus says this, if you can't get the little things right in the natural, why should I give you true spiritual riches? says, if you focus on the little things, if you'll be consistent in the little things, I can build over a period of time a life of large influence. Let's stand to our feet this morning.